hello everybody and thank you for joining me on this new episode of The Daily Optimist. Today is Wednesday the 24th of March and it is a eh, moderately cool day today. The sun's not out like it was yesterday but that's okay. We can still find positives about the day. I'll get into those in just a little bit. So the debate uh, around banning assault rifles is happening, as I talked about yesterday uh, with the Boulder, Colorado incident, and um, I don't know if change is going to happen. I do know that the conversation is happening, but it happened before. I hope this is the leading to the end of having that conversation because it actually leads to some change. We shall see. We shall see. But nonetheless, today I'm going to talk about some new things. Um, One of the stories in the first part of the news is uh, difficult to listen to. And it comes from Myanmar and the uh, military coup that has happened there. We'll get through it together and then we'll get to some positive news. But first, today is another day into Women's History Month. That reminder should be all the time history month because it's all the time history. But today I want to tell you about what Eleanor Roosevelt did when she was first lady. And what she did was held all woman press conferences. That's right, she did it for women starting in 1933. Uh, where she would, according to the Women's Day article, she would uh, cover issues of special interest and value to the women of the country. And that is according to the National Women's History Museum. And over the next 12 years, she held 348 press conferences for women reporters. So, that is pretty good. Pretty important move. Thanks to Eleanor Roosevelt for doing that. All right. Well... That's a good story to start with. At least I thought so. Hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you for joining me. We're going to get into it now. My name, of course, is Elijah Manning, and you are listening to The Daily Optimist. So my first news story today is going to come from... Uh, NBC, and it is about how uh, the insurrectionists uh, at the Capitol were making most of their donations to the Trump campaign after his election defeat. All right. So what happened is the percentages rose about 75% compared to the five weeks leading up to the election. And that uh, is those charged in the Capitol riot. All right. So they raised about... um, So Trump and his aligned groups, which was the RNC, they raised about $207.5 million in the 19 days after the election. That is pretty, pretty wild. Um, There's a man named James Uptmore who um, was in involved in it and he made one donation of $250 to a Trump pack between Trump's first run for president and the 2020 election. But then on November 15th, the day Trump uh tweeted about uh he won the election and not conceding, uh 
uh, Upton made more than five contributions. Well, on November 15th, he made uh, five more contributions. And then three days later, when Trump tweeted, I won the election, voter fraud all over the country, he made four more donations. The next day, he made four more donations as Trump's attorney. Uh, attorneys held a news conference. And uh, on December 18th, when Trump tweeted at Republican senators to fight for it, don't let them take it away, he made six more contributions. In total, he made nearly 40 donations to Trump, the RNC, and the Lion groups after Trump's loss. And on January 6th, he and his son Chance were among the crowd that illegally breached the Capitol. Again, this is according to the NBCnews.com article I'm reading. So basically, you know, what um, Kurt Braddock of the American University, and he is uh, works for the Extreme Racism, uh, Extremism Research and Innovation Lab. Uh, sorry, it's Polarization and Extreme Research, Extremism Research and Innovation Lab. He says, I think quite simply it shows the effectiveness of Trump's messaging in the weeks leading up to the election and then how much his election, his stolen election lie resonated with his base after the election. Trump sold the idea to his followers that not only was the election stolen, but also that it was up to his constituents to help make things right. And, you know, there's talk about if if he should be charged or has any connection with the sedition other than just holding his rally. Um, well, this shows directly that uh, the supporters, um, obviously not all, but the supporters that went there were doing it for him. You know, there's even the reports that had come out about some of the people not even voting because there was a broken system, but still wanting to to be part of the uh, insurrection. So the article just talks about how, you know, the money was spread around uh, and, you know, who is making it and why. And then, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it talk, says more than 50 politicians, political action committees, and other groups and causes receive donations from those charged in the riot. They include Republicans like former Senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler of Georgia, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy of California, Senator Steve Daines of Montana, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, and Suzanne Collins of Maine, Reps Burgess Owens of Utah and Elise Stefanik of New York, and then some former failed candidates as well all received money. Uh, and then, of course, it went to the National Republican Senatorial Committee and the National Republican Congressional Committee as well. And it says the most of the donations went to Trump and those groups, with 75% uh, of the more than 900 such donations funneled directly there. So, again, he was basically using everything he could to get as much money as he could out of the people. Um, some of the people were obviously, um, it says some of them had had, you know, democratic donations in the past and then were all in on, on his donations at this point and participated in the insurrection. So it is, uh, a pretty interesting story as more and more is coming out about how he was able to, uh, basically have his supporters, uh, go in and fight for him, literally and monetarily. So the second story is going to come from Myanmar, as I was saying before, and this is from the CNN.com article 
Um, and the military coup has been happening since February. But um, what happened recently is they shot a seven-year-old girl in the city of Mandalay. And that seems to be the youngest victim in the, um, in the military coup. So the story says that she was at home with her family and she was sitting on her father's lap when the soldiers broke in and asked if uh asked the father if everyone in the family was present in the house the father said yes they didn't believe him they said he was lying and they shot at him but instead they hit his daughter and uh that's you know what the victim's older sister says and this is um obviously they've had quite a pattern of this type of behavior the um, security forces for Myanmar, they've had this um, behavior going in and um, since the coup started and, and they took over rule, they've been arresting people in the street. They've killed, uh, they say around 275 people, but, um, you know, there are organizations that say that it's higher than that. And more than 20 of those deaths are children uh the humanitarian organization Save the Children said, and they said, we are horrified that children continue to be among the targets of those of uh, these fatal attacks on peaceful protesters. The death of these children is especially concerning given that they reportedly were killed while being at home where they should have been safe from harm. The fact that so many children are being killed on an almost daily basis shows a complete disregard for human life by security forces. So there was a 15-year-old boy who uh, was killed on Monday in the same city of Mandalay, where supposedly the, the grade 8 student was um, going outside of his house to fill up water, um, and that's when he was shot and killed. So, um, you know, it's trying to be spun by the military, the spokesperson basically said we're sorry for the loss of, of life, but then went ahead and blamed the protesters for unrest and destruction of property. Um, so they also did a release uh, about 2,812 people that have been detained since the coup started. Um, that is a pretty extraordinary number of arrests that they've had if they've released that many people. That is a pretty wild number. Um, the U.S. and the E.U. have put out some sanctions on Myanmar, or at least on the uh, military, and, you know, put names to the list of, of who they're basically holding responsible. Um, but I don't know if there's any sight of this uh, ending sooner rather than later. I just know that this is what's happening, and it is pretty disturbing and I certainly hope that there is some kind of ending. I'd like it to be peaceful if possible, but I don't know. But apparently the security forces are not the most peaceful of individuals. Uh, the military is looking to completely take over and it doesn't look it doesn't look good at this moment. But as the sanctions from the other countries come in, perhaps it will cripple their uh, ability to uh, continue their um their coup and they call it a junta so we will have to wait and see how this will continue to play out over the next who knows how long all right well 
That's enough of that. Time to get to some positive news. I'll be back in just a moment. My first positive news story comes from India. So there's a video that goes along with this. It's pretty um, disturbing, but you know the outcome is positive. So if you get a chance and you're, you're interested in watching it, you can find it. I'm, I've found it on goodnewsnetwork.org. Uh, so what happened is there's a you know some several people standing on a balcony that were there to um, collect their labor pensions. And in South India, at a, they're at the balcony of a bank. So there's a man who's uh, slightly swaying back and forth, and then suddenly he falls backward over the edge of the balcony. Uh, the person standing next to him immediately grabs his foot and holds it as the man's over. And then um, there's another guy who's standing there, didn't you know? He he froze, didn't know what to do, but then realized that you know the first guy caught him. So they, he rushes over and, and holds on to him, and then um, a bunch of other people come rushing out to to pull the man back up to safety and prevent him from falling headfirst out of the second story. Uh, so, they, they, like I said, they eventually pulled him back into safety. He was taken to the hospital. He did not sustain any injuries, thank God, and is now safe, and um, they're not exactly sure what happened they said it's an unexplained medical episode at this moment that caused him to fall backwards head first over the balcony but thankfully to the the quick reflexes of the man standing next to him you know being able to hold on to his leg with all his energy and effort and then to all those who came out next and helped in and pulled him back up to safety uh, like i said it's a pretty harrowing video but Knowing the outcome, it helped me be able to just watch it, knowing that they were going to pull him back up. My second positive story is coming from Kenya, and there's a, a women of the Umoja, and it's uh, a place where women originally were sent, or started rather, because they were um, not welcomed by their husbands. So... In Kenya, there's um, the lady who started it, started it because she was outspoken against female genital mutilation. <clears throat> she started this 30 years ago. And Omoja um, means unity in Swahili. And, uh, you know, it was 15 women at the start. And the lady who created it was Rebecca Lolosoli. And she was thrown out of her community, and she was beaten by a group of men because she spoke out against the female genital mutilation. And when she was in the hospital, this is according to the globalcitizen.org article I'm reading, she came up with the idea to start a village where men were banned. So 15 women started it, and then it grew up to about 50 families over the years. And uh, there are about 37 women and their children that live there in the village as well. And they have homes that they helped build for each other. There's a school there, and they're surrounded by a fence of thorny branches. Um, they make money that sell by selling honey and handmade beads to tourists. And although the coronavirus has um, not helped them with their income, they've had savings that they've helped each other out with. But so what really it is, it comes down to the lady who recently has moved there. 
you know, she was um, banished from her family home in northern Kenya after the being discovered that she had been raped by a British soldier. Soldier. Yeah, that's when her husband banished her. So, 30 years she's been living there um, in the Emoja village and, you know, raising her children. And like I said, you know, it's, that's around the time when it started and everything. So, the reason they do this is because women in the area are not allowed to have uh, ownership uh, of land or anything like that. It belongs to the men or the, the fathers kind of thing. And it's hard for women to own land. Even though uh, Kenyan's constitution states that all women have equal rights to own property, that's not really how it works. And less than 2% of all titled land in Kenya, this is according to the uh, Kenya Land Alliance, uh, is owned by women. So this is helping them to uh, own land. And the government is currently considering their application for a community title for the land so that they can actually take ownership of it. And they've inspired some towns nearby, or some villages nearby, to do the same kind of thing. There's one nearby that is finding ways to have uh, women be able to own land and, and property as well. And, you know, there's work to, to hope that it's not just women owning property or men owning property but if they're married that they own the property together each each one has equal rights to it and things of that nature um so that if women do get divorced or kicked out if you will they that that doesn't happen in the same way they can't just be sent out of their family homes they are part of the property too and allows them to own uh cattle and things as well so there's work on that right now but at least they do have this one little village that is working on its own. And, you know, the the, the women who have lived there, they've been able to raise their children. Um, and the children have grown, gone on to, to grow and become uh, greater parts of the, the society. So hopefully they will officially be able to own land and property and all those important things to help themselves and any children they may have so that i thought was a pretty amazing story again that's from globalcitizen.org all right so now it's time for me to switch over to some positive step for the day so i realized as we are working on healing up and preparing for our journey we have a cluttered cluttered mind right now and and it's we need to kind of do our best to to clear it open it up and um that will help us heal and help us plan our journeys ahead all right so i know it's easier said than done and maybe it can be based off of a meditation uh just a breathing technique Maybe it can be something you start early in the day, or maybe it's best for you right before bed. Whatever the case is, do your best to clear your mind, free up space, and allow yourself to just have some relaxation and know that you're going to have some positive energy coming into your brain in a different way than the, the stress and clutter that it that it always has. That's That's me, and you know, I just need to declutter, so I do that sometimes. I'm pretty pretty good overall at... um putting stress into compartments and things of that nature but sometimes my mind can journey and I just needed to quiet down so 
find a way to, to slow your mind, clear it up, so that you can continue your process of healing and growing and journeying forward. And my quote today is going to come from, and I'm going to have it pronounced by the computer so I don't mispronounce it. It comes from? Jidu Krishnamurti. Jidu Krishnamurti. I'm sure you heard that. But uh, just to make sure, I repeated it. Jidu Krishnamurti. All right. And he was a philosopher, speaker, and writer. And he was going to be this whole new world teacher. And he decided that he doesn't want to do that. He just wants to help teach you help teach people how to be self-reflective and move forward in positive space. So his quote goes like this. A mind that is full of conclusions is a dead mind. A living mind is a free mind, learning, never concluding. One more time. A mind that is full of conclusions is a dead mind. A living mind is a free mind, learning, never concluding. So, I don't know what that means to you, but what that says to me is, it's not over, it's not done, your thought process, what you think about anything, it's not done. There's no conclusion on it, whether it's your healing process, your journey, your next steps, how you feel about a situation, it's not quite done, okay? Because you don't know the outcome of everything, and you can't make that outcome up in your mind. A free mind is always learning, never concluding. All right. A living mind is a free mind, learning, never concluding. Keep it open to thoughts, new experiences, new parts of life, and you'll help grow in different ways that you didn't know possible. You got this. I know. Easier said than done. It starts with a small step. All right. Don't make a conclusion about something until, unless it's a, you know, uh, what should I have for dinner? Then make a conclusion. <laughs> but never about where your journey is going to end or anything like that, okay? Just keep living in the moment, keep refreshing it, keep renewing it, keep learning and growing. Thank you very much for making it through this episode of The Daily Optimist. I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. I hope this finds you well every day. I'll be here with you again tomorrow. We'll do it again as tomorrow is my last podcast for the week. But we'll get there today is Wednesday. I hope you enjoyed. I know I did. Please do me a favor. Rate, subscribe, and share. Rate so that other people can find it. Subscribe so you never miss it. And share with anybody who needs a little positivity and optimism in their day. I appreciate you all. Until next time, everyone, please be well.